Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I know. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. Hello. Yo, yo, what's up? This is Ergo. It is indeed what we do here is reshape the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. I am Kiss. I am Damon. And what we are doing today is kind of putting the final button on our mentorship suite. Dame, how's it, uh, how's it been for you over the last uh, six months? Six, uh, over the last six <laughs> weeks. <laughs> it feels like six months. Yeah, time, you know, what is time, as we say. It was beautiful. Um, I think it was really grounding for where our just community was to have this conversation. Some people like in my family have heard some of it. And so this got more personally rooted that I think we even expected or planned for, even though that was part of the design. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm feeling some some growth or some 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 breath coming out of this. Yeah, for sure. So to help put this button on it, uh, we're bringing back our co-curator for the suite. And as always, Ergo Family and, you know, if you want to hear me give like a long list of superlatives, just go back and listen to the first one. I'm just going to say, <laughs> folks, Jacinda from Kumba Links is here yet again. Yep, yep, yep. We back, we back. We back, and we back. <laughs> so we can start off where we always start. Uh, you know the two-parter, uh, but for posterity's sake, in this time, this moment, this season, this lifetime, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world, Jacinda? Mm, I love that because I think we should think about it every day. Mm -hmm. It's just reminding me, you know, that I'm in it, but not of it. It's affirming for me that I am from unconditional love and that I shall return to unconditional love. And therefore, the way I need to treat this world is with unconditional love. I need to practice it so that I know how to receive it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just <laughs> it. <laughs> I was trying to think of something witty or clever to say to that, but I just receive it. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, but I, th I think that is a great starting point into one of the themes that really shone through in a lot of our conversations. A lot of folks over the suite talked about the choice to give fully. And what does it mean to really make this choice to give? And that that choice to give is such a huge part of stepping into a mentorship role that actually provides something. And with that choice, there are ramifications or there are con not consequences, but outcomes, um, both positive and beautiful and nourishing and fruitful and sometimes difficult or painful or exhausting. Exhaustion, I think, was <laughs> a theme that came through a lot. Uh, and, and so I'm curious for you, how do you think about how to address that exhaustion for yourself. You know, I don't think I'm tired. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what I mean by not being tired is that I am committed to this 
human existence because I'm here. I want to figure it out. I want us to bloom beautiful. Yeah, it's work, you know, but I mean, what else you doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's so real. I, I love this notion of blooming. And before we deep dive back into some of the other conversations, I want to check in with you a little bit. We started off and framed so many of the themes in conversation with you, and it felt like you were even unpacking and naming and speaking more explicitly to your practice and your lineage in ways that you might not get to every day. So it's been a few weeks and you're still you and you still do do the work that you talked about. Did you feel any of that reflection impacting the way you were showing up in space after having that conversation and then being so like forefronted in the consciousness, even though I know you always are thinking about these things? Actually, I think it's what made me be like, I'm not giving up and I'm not tired because I obviously have probably once a week the moments where I'm like, oh, God, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, people need to get their shit together. <laughs> and, and me too, you know, and, and, you know, between the moments we talked and since I've had some very heart wrenching moments, disappointing things have come up, but I think being able to think about mentorship in this way and the, the as your um, professor put it, the unconscious and the, the conscious mentoring that happens, you know, like that for me is real. Again, you know, just surrendering to it, you know, just accepting that we are mentors and we are being mentoring. I don't, you know, again, don't really care for those words, but, but we, we have a duty upon each other, even when it's hard. And I had a, a homie that I've known since I was, and childhood, you know, we, we got into it pretty ugly. The value systems, you know, uh, came up. And then my own, in my own family, some things happened, you know, amongst my own seeds, my offspring. And so having those moments to just put it in your face and give perspective. And then, you know, yeah, having these conversations where I've been able to reflect and think about what is this thing of mentorship and how do we listen? How do we actively be mentors? Right. And don't let it just be a subconscious thing. But how do we actively participate? So, yeah, I think it's going to continue to shape me. And the reflection piece is so real. Right. Like reflecting on for the sake of our behaviors and to clarify our values, which is something that was talked about in y'all suites that I because I got to listen to pieces of them. Um, that's real. You said you didn't do your homework before we started recording. You definitely did your homework. You did, you did, you did some homework. <laughs> you certainly did your homework. <laughs> Listen, it's because it's it's been said before to me. You know, the things that I heard, they weren't first times for me. And so they're, they're just affirmations. And we find that in life, what resonates with us will return to us. You you checked your work, basically. <laughs> you went through the proof. Well, under, under field study. Work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that 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 your um give me the sister's name again. Keisha Scott. Yeah. Keisha Scott, sister Keisha Scott. So she's like an elder that like just was around me growing up. Yeah. Let, let's let's stay there because that was one of the reflections we wanted to talk about. Is you know I think holistically, just like some energetic ways. I think there was some some real alignments between what she shared and what you offer. But both of y'all coming from this panther. Black power lineage th that she named and went more in depth for us than we even knew. And even, you know, I knew that about you as well. Uh, but I feel like there was a way in which you were able to open up more and share more about, you know, how the Rainbow Coalition shaped and nurtured your entire community and like sense of self. So that was just like one of the first 
like exciting parallels that we felt is that that wasn't intentional, but seeing that connection or that lineage kind of intersect was really, I think, exciting for for the suite. Kiss, you had anything to, to, to add on that point? I mean, I'm just curious for you in listening to her when you said that she felt like someone you grew up around, what jumped out to you? What felt right at home? Her truth and her carefulness around not sabotaging the liberation movement was something that, you know, I spoke to you all about previously. The realness, like she just be like, that's the, the bullshit. Don't be on the bullshit. But then <laughs> but then that gentleness, like. When um, she talked about, one, I think it was you, Damon, right? You was going through a whole lot and she shut mm-hmm. the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I have a lot of family in Detroit, but I found out late in life about Grace Lee and that whole like movement. I didn't know anything about that. And I have mad family in Detroit. Um, so I found out about them in my early 20s, Grace and Jimmy. And so hearing that like she was so influenced by them. So those stories kind of resonated because, you know, I'm so into like, what's the lineage and what are the stories before you that bring you somewhere? And then something that it just reminded me of is a story that I often share when people ask, like, when did you first like get introduced to poetry? And I wish that I knew her when I was first getting introduced to poetry in sixth grade. Real quick, the story, we had this poetry project to do. And it was back in the day when we had to go to the library to do homework. And I kind of procrastinated Friday, Saturday, Sunday, library closed, couldn't do it. So I'm like, damn. So we were supposed to find a book of a poet that we were going to kind of create works similar to their style. In the bathroom, we had this book on the floor when I was a shorty coming up. It was like a mini pink book. I've never been able to find it. But it said Poetry by Huey P. Newton. You know, I'm like sixth grade. I don't know how much I even knew, but that was like a household name. You know, I didn't know the impact of it or the. But anyway, so I take the book to school and I'm like, I'm going to do my project on this poet. And my teacher takes the book from me and she's like, Huey P. Newton isn't a poet. He's a murderer. I mean, I think I would have respected my teacher more. if She would have been like, he's a, you know, sexist or he's a abuser or he's a to at least have me be like, whoa, let me think about that because there was abuse and there was sexism that I was witnessing, but I was not witnessing murder in that way. I was witnessing someone fighting for liberation. And so it totally destroyed everything I knew to be true. But if I had someone like Dr. Scott, like that was dealing with those contradictions and being honest about them at that age, I think it would have done me more more good, more, you know, been able to evolve. That was a beautiful story. (laughs) (laughs) And the, uh, and the jokes on your teacher, because she had to hold a book that was in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you washed the cover before you brought it to school. So jokes on her. (laughs) No, that's really, wow. Like there's so much more value in going through the honest contradiction than like the The lie. Yeah, the lie. On either side, right? Either on the lionization or the teardown, but actually being able to look at who someone is or what what a moment is and then try to move forward from there. Yeah. You know, the Huey conversation is kind of the perfect example of that, of both of y'all figuring out and in retrospect, seeing like, look at what was lost both personally and movement wise because this conversation wasn't allowed to happen. I think throughout the suite, we've not danced around, but have chosen not to focus on the ways that conversations were prevented from happening here in our own context in ways that I think are in some ways similar. Um, And and so I'm curious for you, how do you learn from that 
experience, right? As someone who isn't the kid anymore, wishing that, you know, the adults had had that conversation, but we're the adults. <laughs> um, so, so what do we do? Um, and you don't have to have a very clear answer to that. I, I usually don't make people tell me what, what we should do, but I'm curious for you, if you have thoughts on what are the lessons to learn from that? Yeah. Cause we're dealing with that. Right. I think I haven't found the value, but, but I'm not close to it in naming individuals because I think we, we all are guilty of it. Um, you know, you've been harmed and you do harm. So I'm less interested in naming individuals, but I think that if folks need to do that, that space is there. And at some point that may be important for me, but more interested in naming and making space to talk about it. You know, how, how harm impacts you making that space, not like, oh, we have to do this on the side. The sister's got to hold her down. Like, but no, the world has to hold her up or him up or whoever that's been harmed. Um, And at the same time, you know, I always go back to we are better than our worst behavior. As a practicing Muslim, you know, dhikr, which is remembrance of God, is is a really big part of, of how I move through the world. It's almost like that is a dhikr of mine, right, that we are better than our worst behavior, to remember that so that I can offer unconditional love and compassion. And I'm not saying coddling a cape in somebody, but I'm saying just being real that we are all, you know, of our creator. And I don't mean that in like a religious, like forgive and forget. I'm not, I'm not, it's not from that piece, but just remembering, you know, that we are better than our worst behavior and that what solutions we have now have not done us justice. Uh, and, you have know. Def- and have defined people by their worst behavior or by assumptions of their worst behavior even. It might not even be behavior that's been done. Yeah, I'm just meditating on that, like really trying to live in that because that's a difficult piece to live mm-hmm. in, you know? Yeah, you know, one of the things that Keisha shared with us, I can't remember if it was on or off the air, was uh, how she understands the the steps for healing. Um, and I think this could be both on a personal and interpersonal level and then also on the more structural. But she defined the steps for healing as one, awareness, two, acceptance, three, restitution, which is both symbolic and actual repair, four, policy change, five, a shift in cultural norms, six, a celebration of what's happened, of that shift. Uh, and then a memorialization of the cast of characters. So naming who was involved and telling the history after the fact. Wow. I'm telling I you. I knew she, in my gut, in my gut, it was not to name in the beginning. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, there's a wow, lot of steps even, before yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that is the last one. <laughs> mm. And and I'm very verbal and I like to talk, as you know. But I don't know if everyone functions in that same way, right? Like, but I do have this struggle just because as a shorty, I had, you know, I dealt with uh, my, my mom, you know, she dealt with addiction heavy. And so we would have moments in our lives where um, she would disappear. You know, when she was gone, you'd be sad, but it became so normalized that she would disappear and then come back into our lives. And when she came back into the lives, it was like, you just were supposed to pick up. Like none of that shit happened. Like she was there yesterday making dinner. (laughs) And I remember like that feeling so unsettling. And I think for me, I needed to like talk about things, right? I needed other people to act like that wasn't normal. Like I wasn't crazy for thinking that that wasn't normal. 
And um, no one did that. And so I, I sometimes I struggle, like, is that a personal thing that I needed? Or is there something to that in a larger movement? Because I think many folks, like when we commit harm, it's difficult to apologize, right? But we sometimes apologize in other ways, or we try to reconcile and make it, it right in other ways. And I don't know, like, is verbally acknowledgement, is that accountability just by verbally saying, yes, I did that? Like, and I understand the impact or... I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm curious. Like, I struggle with that because I know how different people move through the world and how they they try to be accountable for their behaviors. And it's not always a written statement or a verbal communication. And sometimes I'm like, but it needs to be. They need to be able to say those words. Like, this is what I did, and this is how I understand that it impacted you. And this is why I'm I'm reflecting on why maybe I had this behavior. But I don't know. Is that something on me? Like, is that what I wanted and needed? And I'm trying to project that on somebody else. But that's why I shared a little bit of my story just to know why I think that. Wow, there's so much there. So first on the on the accountability piece, I think you're naming something so real of we've actually, in my opinion, packed a lot of adjacent things into accountability. And now I think we have um framed it to set ourselves up for expectations beyond what it actually is, right? Because people can acknowledge harm. And that does not mean that things are healed, right? That does not mean that that harm won't happen again, but that's just one of the steps to ensure healing. So what what I hear a lot is people say, take accountability or hold someone accountable as a way to say, transform that person, which is a whole expansive (laughs) work of, of, of practice or restore the harm or restore someone's position into community, which is again, an undefined, can be infinite process or set of dynamics, but we take all of that. We take healing, restoration, transformation, and I think have tweeted it into a jam-packed one concept of accountability. And the word really just means to take account, to count, to have a ledger of what has happened. And you know that ledger may leave us seeing someone in debt or someone with a deficit in terms of the harm that they have committed, but that's not fixing it. So that's my, my first response to that tension that we feel all the time is that like, yes, we need people to account. And then we need to understand that that is not enough towards what we want or what we're, we're, we're working towards. And I think there's other people, but but the K-Show conversation was really dynamic and impactful for us. And I'm feeling a lot of the, the Kendrick connection because even the ways in which both of you have named your household and your parents and their limitations and their addiction. And, you know, she named different types of abuse that she then absorbed and reperpetuated. And one, being accountable about that, right? Like I remember in your first conversation, you named like, I wasn't always there or, you know, I fell short with with even my own seeds at times. And like that public name and just even on this space as an example of the intergenerational healing thing, which is another thing that I think gets buzzword or kind of like glamorized. That was something that was really moving for me is both of y'all took it out of the the site of the work and really rooted it in the home, not as a way to like make it a personal biography, but to inform how you show up to your spaces and to community. And that was just really profound for me. Mm. And to the point of what you said about this this question of am I projecting or am I on to something here? I mean, I think it's probably both. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think the acknowledgement that different people, one, need different things, and two, can communicate their emotions and their experience and remorse and attempts at repair in different ways, I think it's very true. 
you know, and it leads me to think about something Miriam Cabo always says of, you know, we need a million experiments. Like there isn't going to be one answer to this is what it looks like. It's just true. But I do think to your point about the written statement, I always have a pretty visceral reaction when I see, at least, you know, in the public air quote discourse is like, this actually should have probably been a private apology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like <laughs> when people say I'm taking accountability, the question that I always want to ask is to whom? If you hurt somebody and what you're doing is apologizing to the public for that, that's not taking accountability for the hurt that you did to that person. That's taking accountability for the repercussions or acknowledging the repercussions of that on your industry or on your fandom or on all those things when it's on the fame level. But, you know, even on a smaller level, it's acknowledging the impacts of your actions on everyone else, potentially before you acknowledge the impacts on the person you hurt. Um, And so, yeah, there can be room for a statement, but maybe start doing the more delicate thing of talking to the person you hurt if that's something that's on the table the clearest example of this to me was after the this is a weird pop culture one for the three of us to be talking about but when that like britney spears documentary just came out (laughs) um, okay yeah yeah there was like this small implication of justin timberlake's behavior and he put out this statement about you know how he's learned and apologizing and his role it was like why are you talking to us (laughs) we're not in we don't know you (laughs) this is about things that happen between you and people you know we happen to know your names but this isn't the site where the harm took place so let's let's move to that Um, check you out daniel keeping it topical (laughs) (laughs) welcome to ergo the pop culture podcast you've all been waiting for (laughs) no so okay two things about this come to my, you know, and we can talk all day and how we're just grappling with that, right? As folks that I'm sure y'all like me get a lot of, you're not holding someone accountable, right? As if you have some magical, like, like I now have to be the police. You don't want the police, but now you want me to be the police. And, and um, or second, I want you to be a performer. Cause that's another thing is I want to see what you're doing, you know, particularly as someone who's not involved with the primary harm that we're discussing. A lot of like, are you holding someone accountable? Is I want to see you make a statement on Twitter or Facebook. Right. As opposed to some of these things, you know, the real like holding someone accountable, if that's the language you want to use, is probably happening in a in a very volatile and, you know, in some ways insulated space. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's a lot. And it's a lot to carry, right? And it's a lot to throw at someone. But but I always do remember like Typically, that's being thrown at you because, again, we all don't know what to do. But it makes me think. So the statement, the reason that I sometimes am for that is that I think we don't model enough of just saying, you know, this is what I did. And I'm not the best practitioner of it. But there have been times when I've been better when I'll say, like, even in my crib, right? Like, I I think it's important if you hear me and my partner arguing, we were unapologetic about that shit. When we got loud and disrespectful, I feel like we should be unapologetic and loud with our apology to one another. So for that, I I do like apology and statements, at least amongst those who are watching and witnessing. Right. Yes. This is big for me, too. Right. Like I can't make you be ready to be accountable or to begin that process because you might be mad and you might think you were justified in all your 
behavior. And I might be like, that shit was insane what you did. And then I go and holler at you and you have this whole other lens. Well, it's not time. I can't force that. I can hold space and let you know I love you and I got you. But I also got to let you go through that process because your critical reflection is about your behaviors and what you value. As a parent, I never was like, if some my kids did some shit wrong, I never was like, you got to go apologize, drag them over and say sorry. I know that sounds crazy, right? Because you just threw <laughs> some sand in a shorty's face. But my point in that was that I wanted them to realize like throwing sand in somebody's face, like that shit hurts. What, what could that have done? I don't, I'm not going to just immediately make you say sorry for what? Like, you don't, you have, there's no value behind that. Sorry. You're just doing that because your mama made you do it. So I know that's a childhood thing, but. No, that's important because I think that's a, a, a really specific example. But to, I think the way we were talking about the word accountability is that like that institutes a dishonesty to teach particularly toddlers and children, right? Like when you don't mean it, you go through this mechanics of saying this word. That's why apologetics don't mean accountability in our society or why like saying sorry doesn't even mean anything at this point because there's been this kind of very liberal artificial teaching on an emotional level in terms of of wrestling with why you throw sand, right? Like, are you upset right now? Did you think it was funny? Were you trying to be mean? Did he throw sand first, right? Like there is a multitude of things that get you to that and like understanding your actions. And then that impact is much deeper than just saying a, a, a rainbow Barney field cold word. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> saying like, hey, you come with me right now and let's go do PR. Let's like, go lie. <laughs> let's go do some public relations marketing work. And that makes sense why PR firms write apologies. Like this is how we think of that. Um, I'm curious to that lesson, is that easier or harder with the young folks that you mentor than it is with your family? You know what's crazy? That's why for me, I'm working on the internal because externally, I've really been able to do that, like unapologetically, but in my home, I don't know the difference, but I, I do think that there's there's a difference because it feels more fragile in home. Mm-hmm. In my home, up until I had probably my, my, my shorties come back at me and challenge me for some of my practices and some of my expectations. When they came back at me, then I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. My approach was really raw and rough and demanding and not tolerable of behavior. And they kind of made me start questioning the the policing that I was doing in the crib. Even if it was, you know, all the good stuff we talk about, for example, maybe with the sand thing when I'm like, they don't have to apologize. I'm more curious about why they did that. Well, one of my shorties might come and say, that's some bullshit. They owe me an apology. I don't give a shit why they did that. I'm telling you, Ma, it's sand in my eyes and this shit hurts. I've had to recalibrate in the home. And I think that probably impacts you know, the work with KL, because I always was on that side of like, let's get to the root of it. And not everybody wants to get to the root of it. Like, you <laughs> well, did have some- we learned? <laughs> right. You know As what I'm saying? some root enthused people, not everybody's coming with us. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I would rather go out on a limb than go to the root. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lock that motherfucker up. Period. Yeah. <laughs> Unlearning the police in our mind. Unlearning all of those those learning about what is justice for me. How do I get to be seen when I've been harmed? And we're talking about, you know, minor things, right? But it's not different in the home in Kale. It's grown and evolved. It's gotten bigger. The understanding has gotten bigger. The practice has gotten more balanced. And yeah. so, that answers so the, it. 
It does. It does. The 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 segue I hope can feel as externally obvious as it is to me in my head. <laughs> but from what I'm hearing, like the conversation we're having about accountability and like the difference between in and out the home, one of the themes that really kind of struck me th- through some of the conversations was the notion of exit. It feels like when we talk about mentorship or any of the work, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how you get in it and then once you what you do with, with, when you're there. Uh, but both Tangi and Keisho from two different ways introduced this notion of exit as like a part of where they saw their responsibility. Um, and so Tangi, which is something I'm interested uh, for you hearing, I think she reflected having a very similar experience of having a space that is, you know, connected to her own life story, um, that her own children and family have been invested and have grown through. Uh, but having kind of some of the realization of I've been in this space now for going on 20 years and like part of what I need to do is figure out what exit or transition or moving to a different space looks like for me and for the space. Or just a different role within the space. She right, could still right. be there, but it didn't right, have to be the right. person making the decisions. So so that was one notion of exit that I'm throwing in the gumbo for you. And then the other, back to K-Show, and then maybe Kiss, you can read these. She gave like four like principles or, or, or steps for a successful mentorship relationship. And the last one she said was setting up the exit of the relationship. And I think for her, that was easier to do because a lot of these relationships were on a college campus where you had a date of when people were moving away. But I just want to throw out that notion of exit for you because it feels like for you, some of that exit might not be possible, whether we're talking about accountability relationships, the people that are in our our, our literal clan or our extended clan. And then you just as somebody who's been holding it down for so long, as big as it feels, what does the word exit relative to this lineage making uh, feel like for you? I mean, for sure, if you have a job, you know, you if you can't be executive director forever. Like if we if we use those that kind of language, right? And so I think in Kale, in terms of leadership, um, shared leadership has always been something that we've pushed. It doesn't mean that folks have bought in and invested in it because they we've been trained to need that leader, right? We've been trained to have the go-to person to say, you know, it's like. Jaquanda and I find this all the time in Kale. We're like, yeah, you are the, you facilitate that. Like you're the manager of that. And yet and behold, we'll be somewhere and they'll be like, I got to see what J and J say. And we're like, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) You really don't. So believe that you really don't, you know, because if we're, if we're doing the work of, of constantly doing that critical reflection, right. Then I'm confident that you're going to make the right decision based on our value system. Right. If it's like the traditional job roles and titles, yeah, like you got to make space for new leadership. But you also got to think about those models that exist anyways. Like, why is there an ED to begin with? Like, that's some bullshit. You know, I'm an elder in training. I like to think of it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, EIT. You know, yeah, exactly. And EIT, right? That's that's going to be my new, uh, when they ask on the little proposals, what's the title? EIT. <laughs> Get you a shirt. <laughs> right, <laughs> but for real right so i'm naturally you know we have these natural like the evolution is already there so i think just understanding that and then yeah it's definitely easier when you're like a teacher and you're like you're in my class here's how we're functioning when you leave out you know guy willie you've left with these sort of values and principles but for me it feels a little different just because we're in community so the mentorship is not like oh we're done here you know it's not a 12 week internship where i'm your mentor and then now you go get your job in finance it's not that and it's not even you know i think a piece of tangies that i listened to she was talking about like 
the young folks moving on, like, and doing their thing in the world, right? And being proud of them and loving them and, and letting them fly. And I think, yeah, you know, but that's kind of why Kale started an initiative called As I Am. Because what we found is as you are flying away, doing your thing, you returning back to that space of comfort or because you need more access and more resource and you and you just need that affirmation. So I don't know. The exit is something that I think probably I'm in the face, so I can't speak about it so much. But I think that it does definitely look different when this is your life. Like when you understand mentorship in the way that y'all have been exploring it through this series mentorship is kind of lifelong right and it it (laughs) has different phases we're in this together right it's like a shared reciprocal like give and take i don't know about the exit yet i think the exit is maybe when you leave this life and what's the legacy and what's the learning and the growth that happened that you know and it's probably why she has the celebration and the, the the historicalizing of it right at the end because what do we learn from the life and the legacy and the walk of those before us. Yeah. I have a, a biomimicry anecdote from my life for this. You ready? So to this point of exit, uh, over the last couple of days in my neighborhood, we started seeing on Facebook these uh, photos of there were some baby owls that people were spotting around. We just walked a couple blocks away and one of them was perched up on someone's bushes and then like put out a cardboard box and a little blanket for it. So there was this little baby owl shivering in the wind. It was adorable. But what I learned is owls stay in the nest longer than most other birds. And then even after they leave the nest, the parents keep track of where they are and will just like come and check on them and like make sure they have enough to eat, make sure everything's handled. And then they dip off. A little group chat, the care package. A little pop in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think, you know, the exiting doesn't have to be 60 to zero. I think in the Keisha example for us, the exit meant that the the terms changed and the relationship still existed, but what it looked like day to day, week to week, month to month shifted. Um, and so it's maybe less of an exit and more of this like transition into, mm-hmm. into kind of new mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. Cause you, if you start up by what defining what the terms are and then those terms are no longer true, it is kind of an exiting of that piece of the relationship. I think you articulated it perfectly. Right. Yeah. That's Don't thank it, me. You know, thank, just, thank the owls. I didn't do thank nothing. The owls. Well, you know, they teaching us. Uh huh. But it leads me perfectly to, I think, maybe the last thing that I wanted to bring in another Keisho list that we were just talking about, which are these four stages of mentorship. We kind of entered the suite feeling like, well, we're not going to come up with any tangible answers. And then she kind of provided them. And so <laughs> it seems like a good place uh, to to move toward. She was saying it from the perspective of the mentor, but I think it works from both people in the relationship. Number one, entering humbly. Number two, negotiating the dynamics and what is being asked and offered. Number three, showing that growth was being enabled and being accountable to showing what was learned from the last time. And then for the closing or this this transition of the relationship. That seems, re- yeah. No, no, no. You were going to say that seems what? I was going to say that seems good to me. What do you think? <laughs> mm, oh, okay. What do you think, Damon? I think what moves me about it is that this is what all relationships should be. Um, <laughs> and so what what I'm reflecting on is all relationships should be leaning towards what we're calling mentorship. And therefore, that means mentorship 
has emerged or has become so institutionalized or such capital M mentorship because of this vacuum or this void of these deep kind of like reciprocal intentional relationships, right? Like if we had better peer-to-peer structures of how to like, you know, stay with each other, if we, you know, weren't being so abruptly moved around through the school systems, I think that there are ways to just have deeper relationships that do those four to five things. And we wouldn't have to have this very like linear age-based notion. Also, I think um, that speaks to the crisis that I feel like we heard so many people responding to. So I'm thinking of like Ad 2's experience in his space, doing this work in a space of like real neglect and structural neglect too, like not just like interpersonal, but these type of relationship dynamics feel like principles that are basically the answers to how people should should be with each other. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it I think it answers mentorship and like speaks to moving beyond it almost. I remember hearing her say something about that. And I remember thinking, I just want to be honest with my gut. I was like, uh, what if they come back and they're not able to prove that they get it? I was just trying to put myself in that place, like with maybe someone who had mentored me. I carry this like self-doubt a lot of like, am I doing right by others? Am I doing right by my soul? And so I just thought about, man, what happens in that third piece that you listed, which I love these lists, by the way. Like, thank you for just making it simple. (laughs) Finally, something is simple and understandable. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But, you know, what happens if you can't prove that you've learned? Do Do you stay? Do you need to find another resource that can break it down or teach you differently? Or, you know, I don't know. Do you have to have another lived experience that's traumatic to get it or like what is it like what do you that's so astute i don't have an answer but in hearing like the that goes back a little bit to some of that communal versus institutional space because when i hear you saying like everything is not a success story or there won't be growth as most people understand it not to diminish obviously any of of show's work or understanding of community in this point because everybody can hear the reverence I, i have for her but to be honest, like in our relationship, right? Like it's a privileged space, right? Like you have to get accepted to get into a Grinnell college and you you might have a little bit of different family support to be able to, you know, get to the middle of Iowa in ways that I think um, some of the communal work is some of the folks that don't get that access or get, you know, tracked out of, of that space where the people that are on the growth track. So yeah, you know, obviously her work and like movement shapes her as well. And so I don't want to like say that she has been just dealing with folks with privilege her whole life. She definitely gets the trenches, but in hearing your response, knowing your space and knowing what you hold of that growth model might be something to challenge in community that maybe fits a little bit more with someone you mentored at a college. I don't know. Does that ring true for you, Daniel? Or maybe it's just a redefining of what that growth is, right? It doesn't mean that they can repeat back what you said to them or they've internalized everything, but it means that maybe in conflict the next time they respond differently. Or it might be growth that you can't even see. You know, I was transcribing it and I think the language she used was showing that growth was being enabled, not that growth had happened, right? Mm. It was that there is the possibility for growth here. That uh, That's what I'm, as the mm. mentor, providing is this, the space for growth. And then that being reciprocated ideally with like what growth had happened for sure. Um, but I, I think it's not like report back on everything that changed. It's report back on everything that opened up for you. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, saying that again. 
it makes me think of Jaquan. So Jaquan, I have this self-doubt that lingers all the time about, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing on this earth in this time? And Jaquanda has always said since the beginning, you're never going to be able to measure that. So stop asking that because (laughs) you're not. In your lifetime, ain't nobody finna, it's not going to be that. And I remember when I was getting my foster parent license, I remember the one thing that stuck out to me that they said is like, you're not going to ever be thanked for this work. So if you're in this to be thanked for, oh, saving the situation, whatever, like don't just go ahead and sign out. Being a foster parent is not for you. And so just be able to say that you are creating that space for growth to happen, that you're trying, like you're, you're, you're being conscious of like that. And so for me, that makes me think about patience. And it makes me think about all these folks that come at me like, hey, what are you doing to hold somebody, you know, accountable? Or, or like, what are you, you know, how are you showing up? Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I know my grace and my patience. I know what it's for because it is to try to provide space for all of us to grow and evolve. And it's not a metric to measure the growth was the other thing that I heard in what you were saying. That's not what this is about. You know, it's there's a difference between a coach and a mentor. Like a coach is trying to make you better. A mentor is trying to help you be whole, trying to help that sunlight that you talked about in the first episode shine on you and help you be able to feel that sunlight. Those can be interwoven, but they're not inherently. It's not about being better at a task. It's about being more fully human. Mm-hmm. Mm. And like I hear like input more than output, right? Like the plant might not grow but I just want to make sure it has sun and I'm not going to blame it for not being a taller plant, but I'm not going to let it sit there in the darkness because I know how photosynthesis works and I know what it needs (laughs) at a basic level. Um, My my last thing is not as, as big. We started with the word mentorship itself and even saying in planning the suite, we thought we were going to come up with some cooler pun uh, or some way to describe it, but nothing really was accurate. And so it felt like a limitation of language to get into this space. And obviously for folks here in this case, the case show conversation was deeply impactful uh, for us, which is why, you know, we're really centering it, but she offered the, the word and she like made us wait for it too. Uh, she has some suspense like I'm doing now. Uh, she offered the word <laughs> levitate as how she sees or a better way to describe what we call mentorship. And so for you, how does that sound? and or line up with with what y'all got going over there there's the levitating premise do you write hmm i think i have to get out of my head the hierarchy that the word levitate suggests Mm -hmm. i struggle Mm -hmm. i struggle with that in like religious um like enlightenment and and levels hierarchy Um, higher up yeah yeah so i struggle with that kind of language um but i respect and understand where, where that's coming from um, but I like to think of uh, no one can see what I'm doing with my you're talk, hands. You're talking y'all. going wider rather than going higher. That's right. So it's when I expanding, and I, yeah, and that's why I I love um, when I talk about um, Jaquanda in my own life. I think about her as my critical love partner. You know, because we're in this work of love. It feels less about us moving up towards something, but yeah, Daniel, like expanding out and like growing our capacity. So I don't have that word either. We know it's not mentorship, but someone gave it that name for a reason because they were probably struggling with this same concept Mm -hmm. of like, and um, I really want to like look into my own like cultural tradition of like, was there a word for this love? And in Choctaw, there's um, a phrase, Chihulo Li, which is like 
it's like a term of love, like a term of endearment. Like if you had to like translate it, maybe it's I love you, but it's so much more than that. Right. And so I don't know, for me, the word love and like a big circle, like holding is what I'm looking for when I'm trying to think about a word for it. But, but levitation, I feel I'm never like... No, but, I, but the, whole, the, holding, the holding is a beautiful one for me. That seems about right. Because you think about like holding someone up, holding a hug, like, but it's this, the arms are there. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the support is there. Well, I'm glad we didn't solve everything. A list only gets us so far. Um, right. Is there anything, I guess either of y'all, that you want to make sure we include before we uh, before we wrap this one up? I got something. It goes to something you just said maybe, I don't know, five to seven minutes ago of the question you asked Jaquanda about living in your purpose and how you're using this time you have and the notion of this work being thankless. And I just, with like all of my heart, want to thank you and want to say as someone who has seen you and knows you, uh, there are few people in our community in this world that I identify as living a more purposeful life or being placed in a way that feels so like undeniably impactful. And so I'm really grateful for all that you've done. I'm grateful for you um, kicking it with us on this and even, you know, our interactions and relationship for years. But and then the way you've shown up to this show um, since you've met me, you've always spoken to me like an equal or even like will big me up and like I think it's some of it is just part of your game, like almost as if you're looking up to the people that you are raising. Right. Um, and that's just such a such a sweet, sweet way to to show up to the world and to engage the people that look up to you, because, you know, you don't have to do that. And most people in your position would at least look at someone, you know, like as as like I'm helping you up. Right. But from the day I met you to these conversations, there is a. a a real holistic, radical respect that you have for people and that we feel. It's just such an honor. And so in all of your work and all the ways that you show up, you seem as purposeful. And I know it may not feel that way all the time, but it really looks like it. And I know, including myself, there are so many people to admire and aspire to have the impact that you are having on a daily basis. Um, so thank you. And then also thank you to your family. For one, just being a beautiful family. But in these conversations, you've been very vulnerable and transparent. You know, you've opened up to to what y'all hold and what y'all go through. And so I don't want to take that lightly. So thank the boys and thank Zane for like lending their mama <laughs> uh, to <laughs> us and let, letting her share some of the lessons um, with the world because that's not a small step either. And yeah, I just, I appreciate you so, so much. I see. Thank you. Uh, you know, I give thanks to, to our creators. And, and and I like that you name it because now that means I have to be about that, you know, because it's something that is needed and useful. It's a way to walk that that folks need. So it is. All right. Well, I just want to say thank y'all for <laughs> me. You. Coming through like yeah. for real, you know, like the conversation we talk about, you know, this expansion and this growth and this reciprocity is is what it's all about. And I, I feel like I can rely on y'all and, you know, trust y'all to move through things the way that the world needs us to. So, so much love to y'all, you know, for, for always being there and, and making yourselves available and having capacity to do so much and holding down the show. Like, yo, if people are listening, they're getting gems. Uh, it's been almost four years since we first had you on the show and then i think about all the ways we've worked together since just thank you for modeling that 
self-reflection and that purpose. And sometimes I think those two things can feel almost contradictory or like a dialectic of like, I'm very clearly doing what I feel I should be doing and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's how I feel a lot and to see it come together in such a beautiful, graceful way that you do. Thank you for for showing us that. Nice We'll be back kicking off our next suite. You'll probably hear some uh, some bonus apps and other stuff in between. Um, but ergo, we'll return. We'll be back reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. So much gratitude. Thank you, Ad2. Thank you, Tangie Harper. Thank you, Shannon Benjamin, Keisha Scott. And obviously, thank you so much, Jacinda. Much love to the people. Peace. Levitate, 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 levitate.